0: Welcome into the Utah Preps Zone podcast, your weekly podcast focused on all things high school sports around the state of Utah, particularly football this time of year. And Sean, we have reached the final week of the regular season. Playoff time is here. How are you, my friend? (laughs) The final countdown. Well done. Well done. How are you, my friend?
1: It's good. To, I'm, I'm good here, Jake. I just, uh, I got back from some uh, region championship games or de facto region championship games over the uh, middle here of this fine week, or as some students would call it, UEA break, or as others would call it, fall break, or as Cache Valley would call it, the hunt. Um,
0: long live UEA. I was a kid that grew up with long, UEA.
1: Long live the hunt. <laughs> Not hunt, the hunt.
0: That's who you hear Uh, is Sean Walker from KSL.com. I'm Jay Catch, Sean, of course, my fearless co-host. All right, Sean, we're going to do a little bit of an interesting format this week. (laughs) Yeah, because we got some breaking news right off the top. We do. Can we
1: play some some breaking news?
0: Dun, 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 dun.
1: Beep, 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 beep. Straight off of the wire.
0: Straight off the wire, it's true.
1: Jake, I know we usually like to talk about some actual games and what happens Mm -hmm. on the field During during this segment of the podcast, but... I think we need to lead with this.
0: We do. Absolutely. Because this affects a lot of different teams.
1: Uh, so, in my best Serious XM talk show host,
0: Lone Peak Football, the defending
1: 6A champion, led by coach Bart Brockbank, are they the best 1 in 9 team in the state? Next up on SiriusXM XM, Channel 172. Channel 172. Lone Peak Football, the best 1 in 9 team in the state? You listen to way too
0: much SiriusXM.
1: <laughs> I do listen to a lot of SiriusXM. Shout out to our friends at Sirius XM. Not a subscriber, but if you want to give us a channel, mm-hmm. we'll listen.
0: we totally be uh,
1: But Lone Peak is now 1-9. Did you know this?
0: I did know this. And I think most people that have been on social media probably seen this story uh, kind of playing out over the last couple of days. News broke yesterday, I believe it was Amy Donaldson. She had the first story on it from Deseret News uh, saying that the UHSAA has had ruled that Lone Peak had to forfeit their five wins on the season as a result of fielding an ineligible player through the first nine games of the season. So they were 0-9 entering their game last night against, who did they play last night? Pleasant Grove. Pleasant Grove. They win it 17-7. So now they officially are 1-9. They appealed, of course, the forfeiture of those wins and just the forfeitures overall, the nine games. But after appeal, today the UHSAA comes down and upholds The same ruling they initially ruled on. And as such, the Lone Peak Knights, the defending 6A state champions, are 1-9 entering the playoffs. Yeah, my my
1: favorite moment here. I was not at this game, but our good friend, uh, not quite a GFOP, but maybe an MFOP mutual friend of the podcast, uh, Darnell Dixon from the Daily Herald. We need to have Darnell on. We should get Darnell on. I'll call him Um, right now, in fact. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but our good friend Darnell Jackson for the Daily Herald was at this game Lone Peak in Pleasant Grove. Big game in Region Four. Yes. Kind of helped shake out the Region Four standings and, and boost some RPI numbers and whatnot. Um and so he's actually there while this news is breaking. Lone Peak is warming up on the field and whatnot. Um and as soon as as soon as uh, the knights come away with a seventeen to seven victory over PG, um I'm just going to take this straight from his story. You can find it over there at heraldexper.com if you can, so I'll give you that a little bit of a plug. Um, but he said at the conclusion of Lone Peak's 17-7 victory at Pleasant Grove Wednesday night, Knights coach Bart Brockbank gathered his team and congratulated them on the first win of the season. The players roared with their overwhelming approval. Well? <laughs> this must be the most excited 1-9 team in the state, all things considered.
0: I, I have no problem saying that he's probably absolutely correct in that assessment there. I, it's a, it's a weird situation all the way around, Sean, because now you have a team that is going to be more motivated than they would have been. And there is already a motivated team. They've got a lot of good athletes on that team led by Nate Ritchie, one of the best players in the state. And now all you've done is serve them uh, fodder to play up the nobody believes in us card.
1: Yeah, just a big heaping helping of motivation, and and I know this Lone Peak team—they lost three in a row in Region Four play. Obviously, they looked very mortal um, in back-to-back-to-back losses to Corner Canyon, uh, Sky Ridge, and oh, and American Fork mm-hmm. rivalry game to American yep. Fork. Um, so they looked very mortal, but. A motivated team is a dangerous team, and this Lone Peak team is going to be extremely motivated for the playoffs. And right as they're starting to get healthy with some of their best wide receivers coming back, uh, Trajan Hansen, Sean Wood among them. Um, and I think their, uh, their starting quarterback, J.D. Nealman, may even be back here by the beginning of the playoffs if a little birdie uh, is to be believed. So motivated Lone Peak team combined with the hashtag disrespect <laughs> that the UHSAA has thrust on them and or its its executive committee. Um, and this is a nice team that I think is going to be very, very, very dangerous over the next five weeks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sean, and if they – Plus,
1: let's not forget, they were 54 seconds away from beating top-ranked Corner Canyon on the road.
0: Correct, Yes. Yeah, so let's put it this way, Sean. We probably need to get George Felt on as well, of course. Felt's facts you see in the local papers. If this were to take place, and let me just lay out the scenario – You have a 1-9 and Lone Peak team enter the playoffs, and now if they were to win a state championship, they'd have to win five games to do that. Would they be the first team in quite some time, if not ever, to win a state championship at the highest level in Utah high school football with a losing record? They might be. They might
1: be. Um, Yeah, we should get George Feld on the podcast to see how many 6-9 and state champions (laughs) have come out of this state in Utah high school activities association history. It's a good idea.
0: It's not a big list if there is a list. Yeah, it's,
1: it's probably pretty short. I'm, I'm going to guess it's it's going to be very short. So, um, Either way, there were actual games on Wednesday night. So Correct. Lone Peak, best 1-9 team in the state, question mark?
0: Absolutely. Going to throw
1: that out there right there. Um, but they weren't the only team playing Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, there were a number of other games going down. I think the biggest reverberation in terms of a result last night, outside, of course, the situation with Lone Peak, is the fact that Lehigh beat Orup.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. Lehigh 24, Orem 21. Uh, Noah Sewell continues to be a monster on the ground for the Tigers. But Creighton Cooper, younger brother of Washington State star... Okay, he's not quite a star yet. He's backup quarterback still.
0: Future starter. Um,
1: future starter for Mike Leach's Cougars. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, Crayon Cooper had himself a game with three touchdowns in the Pioneers' upset victory uh, that clinched a uh, co-championship in Region 7, if I believe so. Yeah, yeah. so it uh, it dropped Arm to 4-1 and one on the year. few does its business. Also tied at 4-1, and one, Region 7 co-title. Uh, I would expect Orem to still be seated better in the playoffs, which I guess is all that really matters out of region play anymore. But we counted the Thunderbirds out a couple of weeks ago when they lost to Orem in terms of that region title race. Uh, Orem didn't quite take care of business, and all of a sudden one of the favorites in 5A is looking a lot more vulnerable uh, and a lot more defensive, shall we say, heading into the first round of the play or second round probably, of the playoffs.
0: Yeah, so I think that one says a lot. I think actually looking at it, Sean, Orem's going to be a contender in 5A. We all knew that all year long. 100%. But I think it also says a little bit more in my mind about what Lehigh is entering the playoffs here.
1: Very much. Yeah, no, very much. I mean, this is this is a Lehigh team that's been, they've been a little bit up and down on the year. Um, I'm talking about losses in the middle of yeah. region play to uh, Timfew and Alta, but they've also got some really, really nice wins on their schedule. Uh 35-14 to 14 win over Region 8 champion Provo. Maybe we'll get to them in a minute because yep. they had kind of a fun week there. That's obviously pretty big. Region 7 co-champion Orem um, forcing all sorts of chaos here and also showing that they are capable of losing to, for example, Alta in right. Region 7 play. Yep. I, I think that's kind of a little bit of a microcosm of just what Class 5A what we can expect from the Class 5A tournament? I I don't know if there's a true overwhelming favorite this year. Um, there are probably about four, five, six teams that can really stake a claim to a state championship. And once the ball is up in the air, it could get exciting.
0: It yeah, could get exciting. Absolutely, um, Sean. Let's let's talk a little bit about what's going on. Just this this week, of course, you have games stratified across Wednesday, Thursday, and even Friday night. Some teams wanted to have the more traditional schedule Friday to Friday, so they push games back, but most of them have played on Wednesday here. But now we're looking ahead to the playoffs, and I just look up and down kind of the results from last night, I'm looking at them, and I'm like, okay, not surprising, not all that surprising. But then one that I was a little bit shocked by, and this is, I think it says about a lot about what Westlake has gone through this year, because we've talked a lot about Westlake and their struggles in Region 4. Love but you, Westlake. Sky Ridge raced out to a 21 nothing lead, but credit to Westlake, they battled back and mm-hmm. made Skyridge sweat it out in a thirty-four to twenty-nine win for the Falcons.
1: Yeah, and and once again, I mean, Region Four it just continues to entertain mm-hmm. week in and week out. Even if you think. Uh, you know, you're going to Kentucky for the weekend and maybe you have a little bit of a night off and, and can kind of take a breather and maybe win by a couple of touchdowns or so. Uh, head coach Louis Wong and the Thunder come back out and say, "Not, no, 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 not so fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skyridge, another one of those contenders in Class 6 say, but just struggling to get over the hump uh, with this Thunder team. Didn't win for good until uh, 20-something, 22 seconds left. Correct. I think officially yep. uh, was the game winner. So, yeah, I, I, I mean... That's just region four to a T. <laughs>
0: it's, it, it really is. So it's going to make for an interesting playoffs coming up, obviously. But um, one other note, Sean, before we take our first time out on the podcast today is the game that you were at last night, I think, is something we need to note as well. Because you walked into one of the big stories of the weekend, and you didn't know it going into it.
1: Uh, I don't know if it's one of the big – I mean, uh is it uh it is uh no, so I was over at um full full purpose of full disclosure, my alma mater Provo high school hosting Payson in what was essentially the de facto region eight championship for mm-hmm. the Bulldogs when and you clinch an outright league title the first one for the school since two thousand and five first under the current constitution of uh of region eight um I'll be totally honest. Payson hadn't won a game in region play up mm-hmm. to that point. Uh, I didn't expect Provo to lose this game. Um, but as I was walking in, head coach Tony McGeary was out on the field with the seniors, senior night, um, honoring um, guys like uh, like Luke Haslam, Trayson Hevea, really, really loaded senior class. Mason Cobb I should give a shout-out to. Yep. Um, yeah, loaded senior class out there. But head coach Tony McGeary was right in the center of the field uh, also, receiving the ceremonial Provo High lay that the seniors get on Senior Night, uh, the ceremonial poster that they all get because after 31 years, this longtime high school football coach started his career in Lehigh, won a state title with Lone Peak, um, really orchestrated one of the most remarkable turnarounds I think, in in my opinion, in state high school football history. Here at Provo, he's retiring after 31 years
0: on the job. Crazy, crazy because yes. McGeary has been, like I said, a staple. Long Utah high school football sidelines for over three decades. And cool story to hear about all these former players showing up. Uh, notable coaches in the local market. I don't know if you want to list. Yeah, them.
1: yeah. Do you, do you know who one of, I, I think I told you this earlier. Um, I'm going to let you tell but do this you know, story. Do you know who one of uh, Tony McGeary's first Division One recruits was as a coach?
0: Well, you told me, and I had no idea until you told me, so go ahead.
1: None other than Weber State coach Jay Hill himself. Crazy, yeah. So Jay Hill was actually there on the sideline. I'm sure he was secretly getting a little bit of recruiting done because well, you can never completely turn off on a Friday night if you're a college football head coach. Yeah. But really, the reason Jay was there was to pay homage to uh, to his old coach, his old high school coach, uh, T Mac, there at Provo. Um, Jay, obviously a Lehigh product, yeah. went to, uh, went to the university of Utah. I think also played at Rick's college. Played at Rick's. First.
0: Yeah. First. Then went yeah. to the university of Utah, had great seasons at both schools. Yeah. And, and now
1: long time assistant coach for Kyle Whittingham up at, up at the U, up at his alma mater, now doing great things at Weber state. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of, one of, uh, Tony McGeary's early division one prospects that he coached <laughs> back in the day.
0: Yeah. That's and I again, think,
1: that's not a shot at Jay Hill. No. If you're listening to this podcast, that's not a shot at your age coach. Cause you're around the same age as me. So if I'm calling you old, what does that, what does that say about me?
0: No, it's, but, but it's <laughs> just a fascinating story all yeah. the way around that Tony McGurie coached Jay Hill. He's had guys like Chase Hansen, who went on to have a fantastic career for the university of Utah, New Orleans saints yeah, linebacker. Exactly. Chase but Hansen. just there are, all kinds of players. If you go through Tony McGeary's history as a head coach that have just been standout players. And I think it's a credit to him as a coach and what he has accomplished. Awesome. Awesome story. Like you said, engineering, one of the better turnaround stories in recent years at Provo. I'm actually really sad to see him stepping away and hopefully the run doesn't end right away, but of course regular season he's done.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was his final home game of the regular season, so big salutations to T-Mac. Hope he finds what he's looking for as he rides off into the sunset. Hope Provo can rebound here because that is not an easy place to win at. No. Um, And Tony McGarry turned the Bulldogs into a true winning program. Like I said, first region title since 2005. Um, They were a veritable force in Class 5A this year. I expect that to continue at least for the first couple of rounds of the playoffs as well.
0: All right. All right. Coming up next, we're going to chat with our good friend, Patrick Carr from the standard examiner up there in Ogden. He's been on the podcast in the past. We wanted to catch up with him, get some of his thoughts on what region one looks like heading into the playoffs. Also get some thoughts on region five. And of course get his take on what's going on with the lone peak situation. So that's all coming up next right here on the Utah prep zone podcast brought to you our title sponsor, John Watson Chevrolet. If you are looking for a new car, go check out John Watson Chevrolet. They're up there in Ogden on Wall Avenue. They do a great job, and they're proud to be sponsors of this podcast. We love having them on board. Of course, they sponsor the John Watson Northern Utah High School Football Player of the Week Awards. Uh, We'll mention who the player of the week for last week was here in just a little bit, but can't thank them enough for supporting this podcast. So more in a moment. This is the Utah Prep Zone. (music) Please welcome in Patrick Carr from the Standard Examiner of course covers preps up there in northern Utah unlike anybody else has a great job and encourage you guys to check out his work both in paper and online editions of the standard Examiner. Patrick how are you? Doing well,
2: Jake. How you doing?
0: Doing all right. Good to have you back on the show. Uh, we are now looking ahead a little bit to the playoffs coming up here. Region 1 has wrapped up their play for the season. Uh, before we get into specific teams, etc., what has kind of been your impression with how Region 1 ended up?
2: Um, well, it was definitely a little unpredictable and a little crazy this year. Um, remember when we first talked at the beginning of the year in Region 1, had kind of a slow non-region start Mm -hmm. to the year. Um, And then, you know, three teams really stood out. I think there is an upper echelon of three teams in Region 1. In order, Syracuse, Roy, Weaver. I think those are your top three in Region 1. Of course, Syracuse really, they go by Bridger Hamblin, their dual-threat quarterback who's got like 35 total touchdowns. Um, He leads the region in rushing as a quarterback. So, <laughs> you know, take, take that info and analyze it how you may. Um, Roy has just skill guys up the wazoo and a really good quarterback checks and dark to throw to him. Weaver's got the best offensive line in the region. Good quarterback, Cole Hogan, a couple of good running backs. Um, but if you think about it a little bit in Syracuse, went seven and one Roy and Weaver went six and two. You could look at Roy and Weaver and, change like three or four plays and the outcomes of those plays and they'd be undefeated in the region so it's pretty close at the end
0: yeah no I I would agree with you in that regard because yeah I think you're right there's kind of that cut of those three teams there I was surprised that Roy got the win over Weber uh, in in their in their matchup was it last week and I just Mm -hmm. just looking at that I, I feel like Roy going into the playoffs is kind of surging at the right time do you agree with that
2: I would. Um, I'm not totally surprised. They won that. I thought that was sort of a 50-50 shot for um, anybody to win that because it was going to be a thing of can Weber's secondary stop Roy's skill guys, the answer was no. Could Roy's defense stop Weber's running attack, the answer was no, kind of. Um, I am surprised it ended up being a 14-point game. I mean, I thought either way it'd be something like seven points, full points, whatnot. But yeah, I think you're right. Roy, and and Roy has a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth because they lost to Syracuse at home in double overtime yep. on a Hamlin touchdown run. So yeah, if they keep Syracuse from scoring in double overtime, well, guess what? Roy's the recent champ right there. Um, then they turned the ball over a couple times and got beat by Davis at home on TV. So I think Roy's got a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth, just with knowing they were really close to winning the region. And, um, and that's probably not, you know, super far out to say that Roy's a little ticked off heading into the playoffs. And, and like you said, surging and, and surging might be the right word. It might be too much of, or it might not be the right word. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it, but definitely have a little more of an edge to them, I think than um, most teams in region one, just going into the playoffs.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Bridger Hamblin and just kind of his stellar play, what he's done for Syracuse. Can he alone carry Syracuse far? Do you think, or does he need other guys on his team to step up?
2: he needs two things. Um, now, Now, number one, I think he's, going to do just fine, and they're going to, and Syracuse is going to do just fine in the playoffs because he can take them far, but once you start getting to these second-round matchups where you got to face a you know, a really legit team from Salt Lake County or Utah County, yeah, he's, you know, they're going to key in on him, and they're going to have, these teams are going to have bigger, faster, stronger guys who aren't going to let him run all over them like Region 1 defenses have seen Hamblin do. So, he needs two things. Number one, I think they need their running backs to have great games in the playoffs because if you do that, obviously you, you leave open the, uh, the potential of, okay, well, is this shotgun play going to be a running back play? Is it going to be Hamblin taking a draw? Is it going to be a screen instead of is it going to be a Hamblin run or a Hamblin throw, which has really been the majority of their play calling. Second thing is they're going to need uh, turnovers from their defense. Their defense hasn't forced a ton of turnovers this year. They had five interceptions against Clearfield last week mm-hmm. and had a bunch of short fields. Hence why they only had 200 yards of offense and won by 30 something. So more they, they need turnovers though. Cause now it is, it does say something that they won these big games like at Roy at Weber without forcing just tons and tons and tons and tons of, Turnovers—they had a couple, but they're going to need that same thing to win in the playoffs, along with the running back Stefano.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you in that regard. I think you're spot on with the, with both of those points there. Let's talk a little bit about Weber here. Of course, you said you mentioned in kind of your first thought that they have the best offensive line in the region. This is a team, I, and I, when I look at Weber, I just think of toughness. I just think of a team that they're a tough out. Cole Hogan, their quarterback, is kind of a dual threat in the same mold mm-hmm. of what you see from Bridger Hamblin at Syracuse. What's it going to take for Weber
2: to really uh, make a run here? Um, well, like you said, yeah, Weber is very, very tough. Tough out, and maybe the most old-school spread team that you're going to see because they, yeah. they just, they, they pound the ball. They, they feed their running backs, they hand them the rock. I mean, if you think back to the Syracuse game that they lost, they had like 350 rushing yards in that game on seven yards a carry. Like that's what that team capable of. And they are not afraid to just stick it to the ground and rely on that. I do think they need a little bit more out of Cole Hogan passing wise. Cause he's had a couple of games where he's really, struggled with accuracy in region and those have been in the big game against Syracuse against Roy against Fremont yeah they beat Fremont they lost to Syracuse and Roy but in those three games you know arguably the three biggest games Hogan was fantastic running the ball but passing wise wasn't very accurate so what you might see in the playoffs this team really really sell out on the run and challenge Hogan to beat him over the top which I think he can do, but we haven't seen him do that yet under the gun this year, if that makes sense.
0: No, absolutely. And I think backing up what you're saying, his passing percentage, based on what I'm seeing, is 43.1% on the season. But to his credit, he's got 12 touchdowns to two interceptions. So yeah. it's, it's not a great completion percentage, but it's a good touchdown interception disparity. So, <laughs>
2: Yeah, in the, in the Fremont game, which – You know, that was kind of twilight zone in itself with, uh, no pun intended, with the the light delay and then, okay, we're going to play on one half of the field, turn the ship around because one bank of lights isn't working. (laughs) In the first half of that game, he had two completions. Or no, I think he had one completion. No, he had two. And they were both for touchdowns. He was like two of 10 in the first half. He ended up like four of 18 in that game. For something like a buck thirty and two touchdowns, no picks. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he, he has those weird games where he's you know, his completion percentage is somewhere in the thirties, but two touchdowns, no picks.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild.
2: All and right. they, they win uh, ball games. So uh, yeah, you it, know,
0: it's the name of the game is, yeah, at the end of the day, look at the scoreboard. You have more points than the other team. That's all that matters.
2: And uh-huh. I think all of us agree right that. And they went 6-3 and three in the regular season and a couple plays away from going 7-2. and two. Yeah. All right. I um, wanted to ask you
0: if – so Fremont, to me, is kind of an interesting team. Of course, they started out the season 0-3, but they won five of their last six down the stretch here. Is yeah. Fremont a paper tiger? What are they?
2: Um, well – the 0 and 3 start, what you got to understand with that is that they had, um, they had a lot of inexperienced players having to step into the secondary. So they had cornerbacks and safeties get hurt early in the season, and they had to bring out guys that didn't really know the defense that well. And eventually the coaches decided, okay, we can't run these, you know, complicated coverages with these inexperienced sophomores and juniors, so we need to simplify it a little bit. And after the Roy game, they really simplified the pass coverages, you know, to work with the kids that they have Mm -hmm. or that they had in those positions. Right. So that really, really, really helped because they were getting burned over the top the first three games. And that adjustments really helped to mitigate it. And it's what it's also done is, you know, they're not down 14, nothing late in the first quarter or early in the second quarter and, you know, having to play comeback mode, you know, it's a -a mono-e-mono trading touchdowns thing for a while. And, you know, they can work with that a little better, run the ball a little bit more instead of having to rely on Mitch Stratford and the 10 wide receivers that they have to win games, which they can win games with Mitch Stratford and the 10 million, I don't know how many receivers they have. (laughs) But, you know, they would rather – not have to play from behind so early, which they've had to do a few times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the rest of region one, we've got Davis, Leighton, Northridge, and Clearfield. Uh, Davis finished four and three in region, the other three teams, one and six. What should we make of any of those teams? Or are we just looking at, uh, we really, like you said, in the open, the f- top three teams that are really kind of a cut above? Are, are any of these teams kind of below in that lower half of the region, any of them a threat potentially?
2: Davis if they get the right matchup and Northridge if they get the right matchup because um, Northridge still has a ton of unpredictability on offense with their quarterback and their recently Utah State committed receiver Otto Tia. yeah um, And then Davis had a really, really good defensive mojo going on earlier this year. And then once they – and then in the back half of their region schedule was the T of the region schedule. It was Syracuse, Weber, Fremont. And that's where you saw those three lo- three consecutive losses to end the year. But before that, I mean, they were they were just fantastic on defense. So I think, or at least I would assume, that you know, seeing that teeth of the schedule is really going to prepare Davis for the playoffs. They can make some adjustments, and you know, now they've seen stronger competition, sort of at a good time of year, right? Yeah. I would agree with that absolutely because yeah. they,
0: they've, like they, you they said, they, they played the teeth of their schedule came in the latter half of the season, but they're going into the yep. playoffs and yeah, you, they get the right matchup. It's going to be like, oh hey, we actually played against teams better than this. We're actually okay in this game, and we'll see yeah. how it shakes out. We get the, well, of course, we get the playoff pairings here in just a little bit. Uh, I wanted to dip down and talk to you a little bit about Farmington as well before we wrap up today. Uh, Wyatt Evertson has been lights out this year. They've only lost once. Speaking of the Phoenix, is this a team that is primed to make a run here in five
2: A? Uh, I think so. And the reason, like the the reason why you know it's a wild card. Okay, so they've got, like you said, they've got Everton. Everton's a solid quarterback. They've got really good receivers, a really good running back. The name to watch is their defensive lineman Braden Wilson, who. Either leads the team in tackles or is like second in the team in tackles from defensive line. Okay. Has something like 20 tackles for loss and 12 sacks. And he's a defensive end size kid playing D line because that's where the team needs him to play. And he's still just, this dude just blows plays up like it's nobody's business. I mean, game changer of the highest order. So automatically, you're going to have to go against. A really good defense, but before you can even plan for the defense, you got to plan for Braden Wilson not just totally destroying you. I do think Farmington can make a run. I don't know how far because I don't know if you feel this way, but I, I feel like 5A is kind of wide open. I mean, I know like <laughs> two, three weeks ago, we were all thinking, like, okay, yeah, Orem's hitting their stride. Like, it's going to be an Orem thing. And <laughs> I still kind of think that way, but I'm not as like gung-ho, yes, Orem's going to just boat race everybody to the title. I think there's, you know, 4-5-16s win the 5A title. And I think Farmington's definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think 5A is open. I think a team like Provo winning their region title, they're undefeated in region. They should have a good run. Orum's still plenty stout. You're absolutely right. And oh, yeah. I, I feel like the, the, they're going to be plenty difficult. But Timview's impressed me. And I, I know I'm based down here in Utah County mainly, but Timview's been very impressive to me as well, as well as Olympus. So I think you're right. There's four, five, six teams in the 5A ranks who have got to have kind of stars in their eyes thinking, you know what? We can go win this thing. And Farmington's right there in the mix.
2: Right, and I wouldn't count out Salem yet. I know they've kind of had a a rough go of it lately, but you know that might just that end of the season might really just irk them and make them want to. You know, go gangbusters in the state playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: I, w- okay. I would ag- I would agree with it in that regard. Uh, last thing for me before we let you go here, Patrick, uh, Of course, we've all seen the story here with Lone Peak uh, being forced uh, to vacate the five wins they had. the the forfeitures were held up after review after appeal to the UHSAA. Where do you kind of land in this
2: whole story? Um, well, I started hearing rumblings about this last week and just sort of not totally dismissed it, but I was like in a wait and see mode. Right. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking like, yeah, that would be really, really, um, I don't know the right word to describe it. I don't even know if I can say it on the radio, but I thought it'd be, you know, tough to, you know, impose forfeiture like that at this juncture of the season. So definitely it was, the wait and see mode now that we've seen like, okay, here's what happened. It was a, a transfer paperwork snafu in a register, my athlete system that coaches and athletic directors and principals have all told me can get a little needlessly complicated. Um, I think the punishment really doesn't fit the crime. Um, And there's two facets facets of that. I mean, number one, like, (laughs) We don't even know who this kid is, right? Yes. Was this kid on the bench? Was this kid a starter? I mean, you know, we don't know. That's being that's being withheld. So like, okay, if that kid doesn't play, like, do they not win those five games? Like, who knows? On the other hand, you have are for my money the second best team in the six A classification is now going to be like a twenty third seed in the RPI <laughs> and is going to go on the road you know, at like a nine or a 10 or 11 or wherever it lands. And this nine or 10 or 11 seed is going to be like, great, cool. Like we got lone peak in the first round of the playoffs and we thought we were going to have a decent draw, like sweet. So yeah, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm like, I said, I don't know if the punishment fits the crime, but at the same time, like, all right, well, What else
0: are you going to do, right? Yeah, it's tough to kind of find the balance, I think. And I'm with you. I I, I think at this juncture of the season, it throws a massive wrench in the 6A playoffs. It's just – I'm with you. The punishment doesn't necessarily fit the crime in my mind, but I'm not sure where you actually come down and make it, I guess, almost – Fair, and is I guess the easiest way to describe it, but it, right. it it makes for yeah whoever draws Lone Peak in the first round of the playoffs, even in the second round uh, potentially, yeah they got to like, be thinking what in the suck. world is
2: going on. Well, because the other thing is like okay, they've had to forfeit all their wins, so mm-hmm. you know is the kid still on the team? You know, like w- there's there's still a little bit more of of unknown, and I think the other thing is. A little notable is that their region knew all this and said no this is this is fine you know we're we're not going to do anything with this and then the u h s a a came in and said, No we're going to make you forfeit all your games. It's like, whoa, what's you know it, it seems like there's a little bit of a obviously a disconnect there, but you know, neither here nor there, I guess
0: yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we'll see how it all shakes out in 6A. We'll also see how teams from Region 1 do, as well as Farmington on Region 5. Keep up the great work, Patrick. Can't thank you enough for taking thank the time, you. and we'll be talking to you soon down the road, I'm sure.
2: Thanks, Jake. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on.
0: There you go, Patrick Carr from the Standard Examiner. Can't thank him enough for joining the podcast. It's always good to catch up with him. He does a great job covering prep sports up there in Ogden and northern Utah in particular. Check out his work both in the local paper, the print editions of the Standard Examiner, and also his work online at standardexaminer.com. All right, we'll get to more of what's going on in the regions around the state coming up next with Sean. Get his thoughts on where we stand as we look ahead to the playoffs here. This is the Utah Prep Zone podcast brought to you by our good friends at John Watson Chevrolet. Welcome back to the Utah Preps Zone podcast, brought to you by John Watson Chevrolet. Can't thank them enough for their continued patronage as the title sponsor of this podcast. Sean, uh, let's mention real quick our Week Nine John Watson Chevrolet Northern Utah High School Football Player of the Week. Do you have an idea of who I might be? Who we might have picked this past week?
1: It's got to be Ben Loman's own, right?
0: It's not Ben Loman's own, unfortunately. That's disappointing. I know. We went to Fremont actually this week. Justin Sagapolu. He's a name to keep an eye on. A two-way contributor for fremont in a 34 to 10 win over davis he hauled in three touchdown passes from mitch stratford and guess what playing offense isn't his only strong suit he plays on the defensive side of things leads the team in tackles was 78 on the season overall he's a one-man wrecking crew for that silver wolves defense and i think a well-deserving um honoree of the john watson northern utah high school football player of the week for week nine
1: Not the first Sakapolu that we'll be talking about on this podcast and probably won't be the last.
0: No, that's a pretty prominent name in Utah high school football circles. All right, Sean, in this final segment, instead of kind of previewing games, because we are dealing with games spread across three different days, we actually decided, you and I talking about it, we wanted to talk more about how region uh, champions, et cetera, look. Going forward, we just talked about region one and region five to a degree with Patrick Carr in the last segment. So let's start off. How about with region two?
1: Yeah, let's do. And region two is looking like a little bit of, uh, pardon my pun and really bad dad joke, but deja vu, Jake. Okay. Because uh, you got three time region champion Kearns mm-hmm. there on top with an unblemished six and oh record. Um, followed by uh, Hunter West Jordan and Cypress. So, Tony
0: Parks is happy that uh, Hunter is in the that's number right. two slot.
1: That's right. Uh, can we call Region 2 Kearns and the Seven Dwarfs a little <laughs> bit?
0: <laughs> sure, why not?
1: But I do want to give a big shout-out to uh, the Fighting Jody, Jody Guinesses over there on K-Town Boulevard. Yeah. Um, 6-0 and record, 9-1 and overall. Big win uh, over Olympus among their non-conference scalps that they've mm-hmm. been able to... To uh, to put together. Uh, this is a team. I know we don't give region reason to a whole lot of love on this podcast, but I think Kearns is a team that could possibly make a little bit of noise come the postseason.
0: We need to see them break through. That's been the biggest bugaboo with them the last couple of years is they've been region champs. Like you said, the three time defending region champs, but they have not done much in the playoffs. They've scored a ton of points this year, Sean, 404 points overall in the season. Not a lot of teams go over 400 points in Utah high school football, and they're one of them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Kearns does. I'm rooting for the Cougars to see how they do.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh should we move to uh, we'll move to region three really briefly, yeah. although in the essence of full disclosure, yeah when we, we will say this. you guys might not be listening to this on Thursday, but it is a Thursday afternoon as we're recording this. And uh, Region three is one of those teams, one of those leagues, I should say, that uh, decided they wanted a traditional schedule in the final week of the season. Mm-hmm. So they're playing out their years their their year across Thursday and Friday. Correct. Um And this is a really, really, only six teams in this region, but Mm -hmm. they are really dense right now. Uh, So Harriman, Bingham, and East all at the top with a 3-1 and record. Um, Again, in the age of RPI, I don't know if the region championship will necessarily matter, but I think Bingham and Harriman at the very least have put themselves in a position for a potential first-round bye, definitely I think for a a first-round home game, Um, but maybe even a bye Headed into the six A playoffs. What do you think?
0: I I would agree with you in that regard. I you you're, you're working on a story. Did you already publish it about uh, region championships and how they kind of exist? It'll now.
1: probably be up around the time most people are listening.
0: To okay, this, so, so you, make sure to check that out at ksl It's just an interesting conundrum because so long region champions region championships have been so heralded in Utah high school football history, but like you said, in this new era of the RPI, they're being devalued to a I think a large degree. That's just kind of my take on it.
1: Yeah. And there's still a trophy on the line yeah. and there's still community bragging rights. And, and especially for schools that aren't always in kind of that running for a state title year in and year out. Um, and this is these, this, this isn't a team like Bingham or Harriman, which, you know, usually are on the opposite end, but if you're not on that side, it, it's really tough. Um, I think to undersell the value of a region championship.
0: Yeah, Shauna, I'm with you in terms of the region championships, and we'll see how it shakes out going forward. This is, of course, the first year with the RPIs. We'll see where it ultimately lands. But let's move on to region four here. Of course, that is the home of what we call the SEC of Utah high school football.
1: Uh, yeah, and like all SEC programs, I think it's best that we start not with Alabama, but with the Vanderbilt No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs>
0: well, the Vanderbilt this week all of a sudden is Lone Peak. We already <laughs> talked about that in the first segment.
1: But yeah, I mean I I think I think in the same analogy, uh if you really want to roll go all in on SEC four, um we need to start with Corner Canyon, the L S U of this state, of the state of Utah, an unblemished ten and zero. Uh, record on the season five and zero in in six uh, a region four play this is mm-hmm. this is the team to beat in class six a, uh, I don't think there's any argument there. Uh, brand new to the classification, just barely moved up to five a. The reigning five a champions, in yeah. fact, uh, and this team is so loaded they can beat you in so many different ways. Whether it's Colhagen through the air, um, targeted. Coveted wideouts like like his little brother Cody or, uh, or uh, Noah Care, Austin Bell on the ground, a defense led by Texas Commit Van Fillinger. I, I mean there's hey, there don't just, discount
0: Josh Wilson. Hey
1: and, and Josh Wilson, Wilson. I know that last name from somewhere.
0: Uh, BYU quarterback, uh, obviously. Oh, he
1: doesn't play for Power 5 school, so he's not important. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> Look at you go. You're going to have BYU fans jumping down your throat. All over
1: me. You can, you can send any complaints to my burner account at PK Sounds good. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, I mean, this Corner Canyon team is absolutely loaded. So many weapons, offensively, defensively. They can beat you in so many ways that I really think all talk of a 6A state title uh, runs through charger way.
0: I don't even know what they're calling it out there.
1: Charger Boulevard?
0: (laughs) Charger Boulevard. We're going to call
1: it Charger Lane for now until we hear otherwise. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the Chargers right now are the team to beat. Um, But I think there are three or four teams in Region 4 that stand a very uh, legitimate chance of uh, of winning a state title, Sky Ridge, American Fork, even the affirmation Lone Peak that we already spent way too much time on.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Sean, uh, we talked about Region Five a little bit with uh, Patrick Carr, of course, Farmington, the Region champions there. Uh, Woods Cross had a great season, three and two in Region play, but eight and two overall. Mm-hmm. Anything you've got to note from Region Five?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean a lot of people are going to look at Region Five as Farmington and everybody else. Maybe mm-hmm. to an extent, that's true, but I I think Woods Cross can quietly sneak in there maybe get a home game here in the playoffs uh cause a little bit of noise a little bit of a dust up but if the phoenix aren't at rice Eccles, Mm -hmm. i think it's at least a minor upset
0: yeah no i'm absolutely i think would be agree all right uh region six now olympus nine and one it overall six and no in region play sean the tough note here to note from olympus though is that scotty edwards season is done as far as i'm aware
1: yeah, one of the better players in the state of Utah. Top mm-hmm. 10 recruit uh, in the Beehive State. This is a kid who's going to be playing on Saturday. You hate to see injuries, but you especially hate to see them with, uh, with impact players like Scotty Edward. Um, good news. I don't think local football fans are going to be done watching him play.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so what I love about Region 6, Sean, is looking at the region standings, just listen to this, region, region like how the region records played out. 6-0, and 5-1, 4-2. and three and three, two and four, one and five, O oh and six. This played out. There is a clear delineation of one to the one to seven in this region. It's kind of funny how that played out. A lot of regions don't usually play out like that, but interesting nonetheless. Brighton, Highland and Murray all have winning records on the season. They finished two, three, four in this region. Region six similar to region two in my mind in 6A where you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, there's some decent teams there, but you don't really think of them as being powerhouses.
1: Yeah, certainly not. I mean, maybe outside, maybe with the exception of Olympus, and Brighton occasionally has that year, uh, I'll be really interested to see how the Titans respond without arguably, maybe inarguably to some, their best player uh, headed into the playoffs. It could make things a little bit interesting. And speaking of interesting, mm-hmm. how about Region 7, led by co-champions? We touched on this a little bit in the first segment. Co-champions Tim Few and Orem. Orem at 5-4. and four, Yeah. Uh, I think has to be one of the four favorites to win the 5A title, and that just sounds weird to say a five and four overall team, four and one in region play, might be among the favorites for a state championship. But Jake, do you disagree?
0: No, I don't disagree. My my, what I'm interested to see here, Sean, is if Orem is forced to play a first round matchup with RPI because that five and four record. I'm not. I wonder how it'll play into the RPI where they'd have to play five games versus four after getting a first round bye. It will be interesting. These RPI ratings haven't changed a ton this season, like week to week that we've seen. But I do wonder with a 5-4 and four overall record, despite that 4-1 and one region record, if Orem might have to play five games to win a title versus four.
1: Yeah, Tigers, uh, as of the most recent rate, Ratings when they had a just over 500 overall record, we're sitting at number seven. Okay, in five A, which is the line for first round. So they, w- they would they so would be they the, are right on the line.
0: So they'd be like the top seed of that first round currently. Is that what you're saying, or w- they would be just inside the buy?
1: Uh, just inside
0: of it. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, it's interesting to me. Lehigh with that big win over Orm, of course, that makes them I think a lot more legit in a lot of people's eyes. All right, Sean, let's dip down to Region Eight here i think there are two teams in this region that harbor na- uh, state not national championship state championship aspirations Maybe national championship sure national champions sure. let's go for it but that would be the provo bulldogs of course uh six and zero in region play eight and two overall and then salem hills five and one in region play nine and one overall
1: yeah we talked a lot about salem hills a couple weeks ago when we had a uh, quarterback jared elmer on mm-hmm. the podcast so thanks again uh, for him joining us, if you want to learn more, you can scroll back in your feed. Yep. Um, also, uh, just scroll back in your feed and listen to us a couple extra times. Maybe, like, put <laughs> us on repeat while you're sleeping or Get something subs- like that. And also
0: subscribe, yeah. rate, and review the subscribe, show.
1: Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. This week, because we're talking some big picture stuff, I don't know, maybe we should go with, like... Eight lessons, nine lessons. We'll give you guys a little bit of a week off. We'll go with nine lessons, okay? Um, rather than the usual twelve or fourteen. So, <laughs> right. uh, yeah, Provo and Salem Hills, I think, are legit contenders in five A. Provo led by obviously running back down Havea. Mm-hmm. Uh big body junior who's playing in memory of his brother Drayson, missed the entire season. Uh, big time recruit Drayson Havaia, yes, missed the entire season with an injury. Um, Salem Hills as well. I think. I think the. I think Salem Hills' path to a potential title though, goes through its offensive line. Uh, guys like John Nielsen really doing a nice job of just – they're just so steady, so solid that they can run enough, they can pass enough, they can be a little bit balanced on offense. Um, disruption is the key when it comes to beating the Skyhawks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but, but that line is just so good, so solid, so steady. 9-1 overall in the year. You can't overlook them one bit. Yeah. Um, maybe the biggest surprise coming out of this region – came on the final week of the season when uh, Springville, perennial Region 8 power Springville, ends the season in Heber City at Wasatch, walks away with a one-point overtime loss. Mm -hmm. Wasatch will take the three seed, not really a seed, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that result plays out in terms of the RPI rankings. Could it cost the Red Devils a home game? It could. First round.
0: I, I think it could, and it w- but of course we'll see where they kind of fall once we see the final RPI ratings come out, Sean. All right. Uh, last thing from us today. Let's get down to region, uh, not region four, class four A, and start off in region nine. Your beloved region nine, Sean. lovely
1: region nine. Shout out to Justin Giles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Pine View won the region title with a seven and zero record. Uh, put up all kinds of points and numbers this year. They're 7 and 2 overall, but not to be outdone, Dixie just behind them, 6 and 1 in region play, 7 and 2 overall in their own right.
1: Yeah, a pair of 7 and 2 teams and um, if if you only need to know two names out of these two, we've talked about both of these names a couple of times, but mm-hmm. Cloud Crow and from from Pineview um, and Reggie Graf from Dixie, the quarterback Correct. drives the show, and for two high octane octane offenses, you would expect nothing less. So disrupt the quarterback, you're going to disrupt these two teams, but that's a lot easier said than
0: done, I think. Yeah, one note uh, from Region Nine, just in my book, Sean. This is kind of my thought on it: uh, Desert Hills, uh, Snow Canyon, and Cedar City, the two, the, the three, four, and five. Seeds, I don't know what Seeds is the wrong term for this, three, four, or five places. Those teams, pending how they match up in the first round of the 4A playoffs, they could win games easily.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, Region 9, always extremely competitive, Mm -hmm. uh, hyper-competitive, even in particular this year. And when you're looking at uh, uh, just a weird alignment because of the number of teams in 4A, I think it's definitely possible. Um, Speaking of making some noise... Let's move to Region 10, where mm-hmm. I think maybe the favorite to win the tournament. We're talking about pre-tournament favorites, so yeah. who knows? Yeah. Things get crazy, but uh, Park City,
0: yeah, 10 they- 0
1: on the year, seven and 0 in Region 10 play. They've mm-hmm. taken on all challengers. They've beaten all challengers. Uh, the Miners are legit, man.
0: Yeah, they. I've seen them in person. I was very impressed with what they had to do. I feel like they've got a balanced team, both offensively and defensively. They've scored 422 points this year, only giving up 115 points a guess against that's a great disparity in terms of what you're of a team over ten games. This is a team ten and zero going into the playoffs. They were a surprise a year ago with what they did in the first round of the playoffs. They're no longer a surprise. They are a favorite, if not the favorite, in my mind.
1: Yeah, I also like the way that uh, second place Stansberry has been playing, and mm-hmm. then your beloved Mountain View Bruins.
0: Yep, I'm a Mountain bouncing View alum. I've got a younger brother on Mountain View's team,
1: bouncing back really nicely in the final week of the season with a big win over Tuilla. Yep. Um, That could give them some nice momentum headed into the playoffs.
0: I feel like Mountain View, they righted the ship. They lost to Park City and Stansbury in back-to-back weeks. As a result, they finished third in Region 10. But they did bounce back with solid wins over both Cedar Valley and Tooele. Uh, This is just maybe my Homer glasses on, but I feel like those two losses Woke Mountain View up a little bit. I think they played a little bit of a light schedule leading up to those games against Park City and Stansbury. They got punched in the mouth. It caused them to stumble a little bit. Losing that game to Stansbury, a little bit disappointing. But in the last two weeks, they've responded well. I think they're going into the playoffs with some momentum.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, rounding, finishing off for a Region Eleven champion, Skyview nine and one overall.
0: If Park City's not the favorite in four A, I think Skyview's that team.
1: Skyview, yeah. Bobcats are definitely right behind the Miners in terms of favorite status, uh, along with again the upper half of Region Nine, yeah. right there. But if you take the Sky, I think if you take the Skyview team and you put them in a tough, cl- a tough region like Region Nine down south, mm-hmm. first of all, that would be a re- ridiculous region in terms of travel, (laughs) so it'll never happen. Yeah. But third of all, yes, I'm skipping second. Uh, Third of all, I think the Bobcats are competitive even in the league like Region 9. This team is good,
0: Jake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mason Falslev is kind of their star player, of course, committed to play basketball at the University of Utah. He's a top 10 in the state in terms of overall football recruit as well. I'm kind of surprised he picked the hardwoods, but I also get it in, in some regards. This is a team that has got that's kind of flown under the radar despite being nine and one overall. They're playing way up there in Northern Cache County. So I, I get why the people have kind of overlooked them, but this is a team wherever they have to go or wherever they have to play, they're going to show up and they're going to punch you in the mouth.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, should we finish off with 2A and 3A? Maybe just real quick.
0: Yeah, just real quick. Uh, 3A, I feel like if you look at the 3A ranks, you have San Juan who uh, won the Region 12 title, Grantsville wins the Region 13 title, and then uh, Juab wins the Region 14 title. If you, had to, if you had to ask my favorite in 3A, Sean, I'll get this out of the way real quick and kind of make way for you. I think my two favorites in 3A reside in Region 13, and that's Grantsville and Morgan.
1: Yeah, Morgan's going to come in a little bit light. They lose two Grantsville 34-18 in the final week of the season, which cost them that Region 13 title. Mm -hmm. I still think the Trojans, I I think you can make a good argument for the Trojans being the 3A favorites.
0: If you haven't seen Carter Thackeray play quarterback at any point in his high school career, I would encourage you guys to take an opportunity to watch it. He is a fantastic player playing up there at Morgan High School.
1: 1,500 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, just four interceptions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't care what classification you're in. Those are good numbers.
0: Yeah, so we'll see what happens in 3A. Do you have any other teams that you're thinking are, are contenders at this level?
1: Uh, nah, just to finish off in 2A, obviously split in just the two classifications, smallest mm-hmm. classification in the state. Uh, you've got Duchesne at 8-1 and one, leading the 2A north. Beaver undefeated 5-0, and oh, or sorry, excuse me, 9-0 in 2A south. Uh, this, this is a classification, Jake, where... I wouldn't be surprised if most of the sem- semifinals, maybe even all of the semifinals, mm-hmm. come from the same league.
0: Yeah, I can and see no that.
1: offense to the north, but the two-way south is absolutely loaded. Beaver, Milford, Millard, uh, even Enterprise and Parowan have had some pretty good moments this year. I, don't, I like Duchesne. I really like Duchesne a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that league has the depth. Yeah. And in the end, depth is, is pretty important for testing teams enough when it comes to the playoffs. So
0: One of the cool turnaround stories of this season, though, Sean, is at North Summit. They're the second-place team in the 2A North. This is a team, I believe, they either were winless or won one game last year. And they came into the season being thought of, you know what, they're going to be the bottom of two A North. Lo and behold, they're four and one in region play six and three overall. I'm with you. that I don't necessarily think that they're going to be a contender to go to the semifinals. I'm with you. I think the two A South could have all four of those teams there at the end of the day, but it's still a cool story to see North summit. My favorite in two A. am sticking with Bryson Barnes and Milford. I know that they lost Good in pick. disappointing fashion at Beaver getting shut down, but I'm still rolling with the Tigers.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's good for teams to lose, especially mm. the way they did when they did. They they go on the road and lose forty one to nothing at Beaver, and then all the Tigers have done since then is average some 40-odd points per game, 42-24 uh, to 24 over, over Enterprise, 47-21 over Canab, 37-29 in a nail-biter over Millard, um, and then just blasting Parowan, 26-6 to six in the penultimate week of the season. Uh, Milford's got its mojo back, and I think that loss is the motivation that the defending 1A champs need what reigning 1A champs, I guess, because that yeah. doesn't exist anymore. But but I think that's kind of the motivation that they need to try to get back to that championship game.
0: Yeah, right. we'll see how it all shakes out. All right, Sean, that'll do it for today's edition of the show. Any th- final thoughts from you before we wrap this thing up?
1: Once again, uh, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. And the postseason is here, Jake.
0: Let's do this thing. I'm excited. I love high school football playoffs there. You see some of the most unpredictable things come true. Excited to see how it all plays out. Get ready, folks. It's going to be a fun couple of weeks here. Actually, we get five weeks of playoffs now, Sean, instead of four. Makes it even more fun. Another week of playoffs. And we'll ca- talk to you guys soon. Next time we talk, we will have the playoff pairings. We'll be able to talk to you about the first-round matchups heading into next weekend. We'll have it all covered for you right here on the Utah Prep Zone. Peace.